Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a column. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got holes on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Matt Park, remember him? It's been a while. Haven't been in this uh, seat and in the studio in the booth in a minute. Has been before uh, Christmas the last time we were here. Kind of... Slacking and uh, looking forward to being back in the saddle and talking sports with you. If we can remember how to do that, you can join us by phone at 437-7644. That's 4ESPN44. Another snowy day here in central New York. Looks like we're about to get blasted uh, for the weekend. So time to hunker down and talk basketball if you'd like to do that. We've got plenty of chatter for you over the next hour and uh, certainly would take any input you'd like to share again four three seven seven six four four or four ESPN forty four in the booth on ESPN Radio brought to you by our friends at CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota and the Orange basketball team now between games road piece last night and returning for an historic day at the Carrier Dome on Saturday honoring Dennis Duvall's number twenty two and taking on Notre Dame at least Notre Dame doesn't have Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell right. They might be better. They rolled NC State without uh, their two best players last night. So uh, pretty incredible that the Irish uh, were able to accomplish that. We'll get into that uh, in just a bit as well. And I want to spend the first part of the show, of course, going over last night's loss in Winston-Salem, which was a disappointing uh, defeat for Syracuse. Uh, As we talked about, when you look at the arc of the season and trying to build – the uh, resume for the end of the year. You don't want to mess around with the games where you are, uh, if not expected to win, certainly uh, rounding toward uh, that position. Uh, Wake Forest preseason number 11 in the league. You're not going to have many friendlier road games than that uh, in the conference. Uh, Wake is a team that Syracuse does play twice. The Orange will be uh, favored against Wake uh, when that game comes around in the Carrier Dome. And certainly it was one where the Orange had chances last night, but a game that had eight ties, eight lead changes. Syracuse played very poorly at the start of the game. Could have been buried early. Um, down eight, able to rally from that. They had a run. Turned out to be a 12 nothing run, but even in the first 10 nothing spurt of it, a field goal by each of the five starters that were on the floor uh, at that time, um, and a 12 nothing reversal of fortune or erasing of that uh, deficit, and they built the lead up to four, 29-25, went into halftime with just the two-point lead, and uh, you know the history down the stretch as uh, Wake Forest hit a couple of key three-pointers from the uh, left corner down by their bench. Uh, The Orange, who have been so extraordinary defensively this year, were not so much in the second half of yesterday's game. Wake five of nine from three-point range in the second half, Shot 43% from the field overall, so that's uh, not very good in terms of the two-point field goal percentage uh, in the second half. But uh, they also got the boards. Syracuse had a season-low six offensive boards and was out-rebounded 38-29 altogether. Literally the first game all season where the Orange were out-rebounded, so that's a big surprise. That's not often something you say about uh, 
Syracuse rebounding has not historically been a strength. It's almost been a little bit of a trade-off in the zone, but this year rebounding really has been a strength for uh, this year's team, and uh, last night it was not. And uh, the uh, offense just not clicking in a way to uh, to get it done. Tyus Battle had uh, a tough time getting going. He had just 13 points in the game. 13 points is good for most people, but for Battle it's seven points shy of his average. He was one of seven from three-point range. Actually sat out due to foul trouble, missing action for the first time since November. Here's some comments from uh, Coach Beheim, including his opening address to the media just following the game. Again, a 73-67 loss. It dropped the Orange to 12-3 and overall, 1-1 one and one in the ACC. I thought we really did a good job getting back in the game after a slow start, and I thought in the second half we we did everything we needed to on offense, but we did not do a good job on the boards, which has been something that has really made us this year. And uh, we just, you know, we just didn't get some balls that were right there that you have to get. Um, I thought the difference when we got the lead, they made three threes. We just didn't cover the corner. Uh, we were late getting there three times, and uh, and they made them. They made big-time shots, and, uh, you know, that's why they turned the game. They made those shots. We missed a couple. We missed a couple free throws uh, at the end, which we have made mostly this year. And, uh, you know, we just, other than Frank, we just could not get the ball in the basket today very well. But uh, they played well down the stretch, and they, they deserve to win. Right, Crawford. In the second half of last night's game, had uh, 14 of his 19 points overall. He had three second-half three-pointers, and uh, Wake really crushed it on the boards. Terrence Thompson, their transfer from Marshall, really an underrated kind of performance. He had 13 points, nine of those in the second half, seven rebounds, three steals, uh, just kind of mucked things up uh, for the Syracuse offense. And uh, the Orange had their chances, and... uh, as Coach Beheim pointed out, just a bounce here or a break there or an ill-timed missed shot, they did not come through. You know, they got after the ball, but I thought we had opportunities, especially in the second half. I thought we blocked a couple shots. There was a couple loose balls, and we didn't, we didn't get it. We didn't come up with it. Uh, they changed defense. They played a lot of zone. Um, we got in there. We got shots I thought we needed to get, but uh, we, didn't, we didn't do as good a job on, on the boards as we need to. Again, the rebounding 38-29 in uh, Wake's favor. Syracuse actually had an edge on second-chance points, so they did make the most of the six offensive boards that they had, but uh, that's not a lot. Wake Forest has one of the bigger guys in the league in Doral Moore, and while he dealt with some foul trouble, Olivier Saar, his backup, just as big and maybe more agile, made it tough for uh, Pascal Chuku and company. Pascal... 10 points, 5 boards, 4 blocks in 37 minutes. Pascal's doing better in terms of uh, keeping foul trouble from being a reason that he has to sit. So he's playing maybe more extended minutes, 37 minutes last night. Matthew Moyer had 31 minutes, 5 points, 8 boards. Uh, The Orange got the game-high 23 points from Frank Howard, but uh, not what you'd expect from Tyus Battle, who has... Been kept in check by recent opponents. He did have 22 points in the win against Virginia Tech on New Year's Eve, but last night just 13 points, five turnovers for Tyus, who was just 4 of 12 shooting and 1 of 7 from three-point range. 
No, not really. He had a good look at the end. He made a key one that I thought he was going to get going, and then he got another wide open one right there, and I thought that uh, that was a big, big shot. But, you know, he, he just didn't shoot it as well as he is capable. And that's going to happen. We talked about that from time to time. This team's going to need to find ways to uh, thrive outside of just Ty's battle. Frank Howard really should be commended for the season he's had. He's a completely different player than he's been in his career prior to this. Uh, much better uh, three-point shooter. He Last game eclipsed his entire 2017 season total for three-pointers made in a season. Uh, he had knocked that off by uh, halftime of the last game and then hit five more career-high last night. So now 27 three-pointers made for Howard so far this year and more to come. He's not a lights-out shooter. He's not going to make 40 45%, but enough to keep you honest, open up driving lanes, and then uh, really get the offense going from there. So uh, that's kind of the story of the game and one that the Orange are going to probably wish they had back. But uh, the upshot of the ACC is there are so many opportunities to uh, play quality opponents uh, the rest of the way, and inevitably, if you win, let's say half the games that you play in the ACC, you're going to beat some uh, ranked teams and some tournament uh, teams. And uh, Syracuse sets out to do that. They've got a very good Notre Dame team coming in to the dome on Saturday. More on them in a moment. One little side light to last night's game was the appearance of Barama Sidibe. Just three minutes in the first half, in for quick run, nothing really noteworthy. Uh, did not appear to be moving great, but was playing. Uh, he's got knee tendonitis and ankle injury as well, but it was notable in that uh, it locks Sidibe in for the year. Coach Beheim said last week that, look, we're not going to play him unless we think we can bring him back again and again. My word's not his, but that's uh, paraphrasing um, kind of the point there that uh, to play him at all uh, going into last night because he'd played 10 games prior to yesterday, to play him at all, uh, means that this full year of eligibility is spent uh, for uh, Sidibe. It's not going to be written off to a, a medical hardship waiver. So the idea was to get more bang for their buck there and uh, get Coach Beheim's reaction to his appearance. He's going to play. He's healthy enough. We just got to spot him in there and get some time. And so what that uh, really means is that uh, he'll be kind of working through his conditioning and some of that in games and getting back into it. And that means... Uh, kind of the first part of the season where he maybe had the freshman experience. Well, he'll have to rehab the freshman experience and and grow. So this is going to be a challenging year, obviously, for Barama, but you can see uh, what he delivers, and uh, the Orange are better off with him available than without. Now, 12-3 and three on the season, 1-1 one and one in ACC play. They take on... One of the teams that is two and zero in the league on Saturday—that's Notre Dame. Notre Dame rolled NC State last night without Bonzi Colson, their best player, who was averaging twenty points and ten rebounds per game. Sidelined for the year with a fracture—not for the year, but fractured foot. He'll have surgery and uh, eight weeks on the bench, and it may as well be the year because it's not a given that when he comes back, he'll be uh, ready to roll right into the lineup or will be himself. Then they lost. Matt Farrell, their outstanding point guard, turned his ankle late in the first half. Yesterday did not play in the second half. It still wound up being the win that gave Mike Bray uh, the victory that moved him past Digger Phelps as the all-time winningest coach at Notre Dame. 
I mean, I've done a lot of reflecting really since the beginning of the season, you know, as you were getting closer to this. Uh, the, the banner was awesome. Having Digger out there was important. I thought that was great. He's been really good to me, and we know what he's done for this program. And, and so, you know, you're honored. You're a little humbled that you've been here 18 years, that you, you know, you, you can last long enough to be the all-time winner. That, you know, I, you heard me say, guys, when I got the job in 2000, I'm a young guy. I look good with that little part, too, you know, and that tie <laughs> back in the day. Bozzi was killing me about my look back then when I was 41. But um, you just you just don't want to get fired. You're just trying to can you be good enough to get one extension. And um, luckily, we've been really good. We've been good in two leagues, you know, and I'm really proud that we've been, we've been the real deal in the Big East when it's been at its best, and I think in the ACC when it's been at its best and its deepest. Well, Notre Dame uh, with an ACC championship uh, as well, so you can see his argument for that. They've won four in a row, 12-3 and three now, and 2-0 and oh in ACC play champions of the Maui Classic, and they'll be in the opposite of Maui when they come uh, this weekend. Hopefully no travel issues for the Irish. All right, we'll set that aside. When we come back, we want to get into this uh, idea of not only the Bills being in the playoffs, but the Bengals helping them do it. And uh, a Western New Yorker, good friend of ours, Dan Horde, the uh, Bengals play-by-play man, on uh, WLW will join us in just a moment when we return. We're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Every Thursday, Coach Bayheim talks orange basketball with Brent Axe. Brought to you by Skinny Atlas Jewelers. On the pulse of the orange, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. The ACC Women's Basketball Dome opener tonight. Georgia Tech in town at 7. Orange pregame 645. On the Pulse of the Orange, ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Dalton catches the football, he's back to throw, inches up in the pocket, throws, yeah. caught by Boyd to the 15, the 10, yeah. the 5, touchdown, Tyler Boyd Man. on 4th and 12, Man. it's a 49-yard touchdown, Ooh, and the Bengals lead with 44 seconds to go. There's our man, Dan Horde and Dave Lapham, former Orangeman, low-keying it. On the call of the uh, <laughs> epic finish, the bang- what was that low key for him, Dan? That's that's pretty much par for the course for Lap, isn't it? That was par for the course. <laughs> I love my guy Dave Lapham. No one gets more excited, and trust me, after calling Bengals games as he did in the 1990s when they averaged four and a half wins a year. When something good happens now, he has earned the right to go bananas. I was going to say, and this obviously has been an off season for the Bengals, but to have that kind of role in a, you know, have meaningful last second play. And that uh, you just tweeted out that great piece from NFL films, just fantastic to encapsulate all that was at stake there. Uh, crushing loss for the Ravens and uh, what a win it was uh, for the bills <laughs> as the Bengals uh, come through with Andy Dalton to Tyler Boyd there. Well, it was fun for me because growing up in Jamestown, New York, which yeah. is a little bit South of Buffalo, I was acutely aware of the bills playoff drought and what getting in would mean to the folks back in the Buffalo, Western New York area. So uh, as soon as the Bengals scored that touchdown, I realized how how excited people would be back in Buffalo. And in fact, uh, I got more texts from my childhood friends after that game than I did when I became a dad. That's amazing. So, so they're happy back home. Your line there was was spectacular. 
silence in Baltimore, pandemonium in Buffalo, and uh, great for you to have a, a sense of all of that as the the Bengals announcer, but uh, certainly somebody very very familiar with the the Bills growing up around it and covering it for for many years as you did here at uh, Channel Five. Uh, what a momentum swing! That, that's why we love sports, right? Bingo. Bingo. And uh, it's kind of nice now to have a team to root for in the playoffs in the NFL as opposed to simply rooting for whoever plays Pittsburgh. Sure. <laughs> as a bitter Bengals fan who's sick of losing to the Steelers twice a year. So uh, go Bills. We'll see how long they, they can keep this role going. And you think about it for the Bills fans because then they collide with Doug Marone, who's got to be thinking, you know, what did I do to deserve that? Well, he knows what he did to deserve that. But, but, uh, yes, he walked but, out on his contract and took a few million to go. That's It'll right. Be interesting because Jacksonville really limped to the finish line. I thought they looked lousy last week against Tennessee. Now, Tennessee had more to play for since they needed to win to get in. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what Jacksonville has left. It's a great defense, but uh, you still, uh, you're still rolling out Blake Bortles at quarterback, and you never know what to expect from week to week from him. The great Dan Horde is with us, uh, former sports director here at uh, WTVH5 and longtime now voice of the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats and, and Bengals. And uh, right in the middle, uh, had a front row seat to uh, that dramatic swing on the weekend. And to see the Bills players, Dan, be invested that way, I, I thought was cool. Like, you know, they come off the field immediately there in Miami. Let's see what's happening in the uh, Bengals game because you've been around a lot of pro athletes for a lot of years and they can have the tendency to get jaded. But when there's that much on the line, uh, it was great to see the youthful enthusiasm from the Bills. And not only youthful, but take a veteran like uh, Kyle Williams, you know, breaking down in tears at the end of the game because he finally gets to go to a playoff game after all these years. So uh, that was really cool to see. The only thing that, uh, that I've seen personally that would compare uh, there was a, a season early in my tenure where the Bengals made the playoffs under somewhat similar circumstances, but the big difference was they did not win their last game. They needed to get some help after losing, and they did. So you, you, it's hard to go absolutely bananas when you've just lost, and then you kind of luck in a little bit when somebody else loses. Uh, but with Buffalo earning it with a win on the road at Miami and then getting help, uh, you've kind of earned the right to go bananas. Yeah, it doesn't feel like he got away with something, uh, maybe right. to the same degree. You know, you covered the Bills' run of four consecutive Super Bowl losses, and and I've you know from afar, I'm not a necessarily a Bills fan. I'm an NFL fan. I, I like to to watch all of it. I I always feel that it's so odd that pe- that that be, ever became a punchline. You know, certainly. There, how many other teams? There's 27 other teams or 30 other uh, teams in the NFL that would have loved to have gone to uh, two, three, four uh, Super Bowls during that period. But can you uh, put to words, you know, just kind of the emptiness, you know, of that feeling there? And, and obviously, the the Bills have so longed for any level of success since. Well, I'm not a Bills fan now since I've been no, working for the Bengals for the last seven years, but I certainly was throughout my entire childhood. And when I covered the last three of the four Super Bowl games for Channel 5 in, in Syracuse, I went into every one of those games totally convinced that this was the time. And this wasn't the fan in me talking. <laughs> At least I didn't think so. I would study the stats and talk to the coaches and listen to the players' interviews and somehow convince myself, Every time this Dallas team has nothing, 
know, this Redskins, who's this <laughs> Joe Gibbs guy? He can't coach. Uh, the Bills have this one. And then, of course, it, it seemed like the losses became more lopsided uh, year after year after year. So uh, it's been a long period of heart, heartache for Buffalo fans. With a time to reflect, you can look back at those years as the glory years, and they were. It's an incredible accomplishment to go to four straight Super Bowls. But until they win one, uh, there will always be an empty feeling. So, hey, at least they've got a shot. At least they've got a puncher's chance now that they're back in the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. Sure, and the miracle throwback uh, kickoff return by the the Tennessee Titans to beat them the last time the Bills uh, were in the playoffs. So then the story from a Bengals perspective, there's really two interesting things that have happened since this game, and and for the the Bengals, obviously, it was a season where they weren't going to go to the playoffs even with the win in Baltimore to end it. Andy Dalton, I've always thought from afar, uh, seems like a really easy guy to root for, and the Bills fans have have jumped on to the tune of what, what are we up to now? $200,000 uh, toward over his foundation. Wow. Over that's $300,000. What an amazing story. Yep. To his charity, which is incredible. I mean, kind hearted bills fans are the best. Uh, and the amazing thing to me was that it started out. I wouldn't call it a joke, but they were giving in $17 increments <laughs> to his charitable foundation. So nice story, but you know, 17 bucks really isn't going to ultimately amount to all that much. But when you have thousands and thousands of people giving at least 17 bucks and some giving as much as $1,000, now you're up in over $300,000. So kudos to Bills fans. They're the best. And, uh, and their, their kind-hearted donations are going to a great cause. Uh, I've been involved with some of uh, Andy's foundation's events, and he's helping sick, ch- sick children. He is paying medical costs for underinsured and un- and uninsured families. And he is also doing things for the parents of these sick children. So for example, every year he has a big holiday party where they bring in events and clowns and other things to entertain these kids. But then they also send the parents out to a gourmet meal because they know how taxing it is on them day after day, night after night. So it's a wonderful foundation. He does it in Cincinnati and back home in Texas. And uh, Bills fans are really helping a great cause by their generosity. Yeah, Andy and his wife uh, Jordan, I want to say, right? And, uh, Correct. Yeah. And so, and they call it date night. That's a great idea for a yep. for a foundation and uh, a charitable effort. So, uh, kudos to him and to Bills fans for helping out. Dan Horde is with us. And before we let you go, Dan, we're going to uh, touch on this uh, a little bit later in the show. But given your background and your time here, we would uh, be remiss to not let you weigh in. Have you been paying attention to the uh, Syracuse Chiefs purchase by the New York Mets? A little bit. Okay. Uh, I've talked to some people about it. I'm, uh, I'm, I know that it's happening. I've yeah. read a little bit online about it. Uh, I can't say that I know a ton about it. Yeah, well, that the purchase and that type of thing was, is a little bit of older news, but uh, now the uh, a poorly kept secret, the governor has let it out of the bag that the team will be known as the Syracuse Mets once... Oh. The Wilpons take up. Well, there you go. Your reaction was the same as mine. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. That's awful. Yeah. A lot of equity built up in that uh, team nickname. Uh, they should not change that. That's a mistake. Okay. Amen. So we'll, we'll put two uh, two votes on, <laughs> on that, that side of the ledger. All right, my friend. Always great to uh, chat. We'll have to, we'll have to chat off the air uh, here sometime soon and catch up. Love to... Hear your voice and hear what uh, what's happening. Doing great work. Love to love to uh, pay attention to it. So, good luck to the uh, Bearcats and Temple tonight. Okay. 
All right, will do. All right, that's Dan Horde of uh, WLW and the uh, Cincinnati Bengals and Bearcats, et cetera, in uh, Cincinnati. Uh, one of the best uh, guys and sportscasters going, and a uh, pleasure to have him on the show. We could talk with him about a lot of things for a lot of time. We will be back with that little news item and get uh, maybe your reaction if you'd like to chime in on the uh, Syracuse Chiefs changing their name, blanding their name to the Mets, bland brand. Maybe I'll coin that phrase there, Joe, when we continue. (laughs) In the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. Jim Beheim's our guest here on ESPN Radio. So they held high uh, eight points, roughly below his average, and Matt Moyer got eight points over his average. And O'Shea, who averages 15, got 25. He got 10 points over his average. On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 a.m. and 1440 a.m. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care no more. Next year, the Syracuse Chiefs will become the Syracuse Mets in his State of the State Address. Just a couple days ago, Governor Cuomo announced the name change would go into effect in 2019. This comes after shareholders approved the sale of the Chiefs to the New York Mets. Yeah, I hate it. Um, right with with Dan, I knew he or I would not have been surprised. Let's put it that way. If, if uh, he poo pooed it, the only upside of this is you know from a Mets perspective, there's two things. The Wilpons obviously have the sort of institutional ego or brand that they want to. You know, make this the Mets and homogenize it with the New York Mets. I, I'm aware that they're upset that the Binghamton Mets changed their name to something goofy. Uh, you know, the Chiefs have been the Chiefs since the 30s or before that. Let them stay that way, and you have something unique, and you can rework the brand and do some other things if you want to sort of jumpstart your uh, merchandise sales or whatever. You'll sell a few T-shirts here, the Syracuse Mets or, or whatever, uh, but just to Mets fans, I, I don't. That's a very short-term gain for – it's trending in the wrong direction. You know, I don't like the super goofy minor league baseball, you know, rubber duckies and chalupas and some of the the silly things that are out there now. But I think what makes it neat is for each of these communities to have their own thing that feels like their team. And while, yes, it's affiliated with a major league organization, and in this case owned by a major league organization, uh, to make it the Syracuse Mets just sort of – uh, makes it bland and, and boring for for everybody involved. So that's a shame. Tiger Woods getting back into the swing of things. The 42-year-old world champion golfer will be part of the Farmers Insurance Open. That begins later this month. Now it's taking place at Torrey Pines in California. That's the same place where he won the 2008 U.S. Open, which is the last of his 14 major championships. This one's kind of a no-brainer. If he's healthy, he's got to play. He's uh, obviously comfortable there at San Diego. It's beautiful. He's won many times on that course. Uh, Very familiar with it. Uh, So this one's not a surprise. And a New Jersey woman was given the wrong lottery ticket by a cashier, which ended up being worth $5 million. 46-year-old Oksana 
Zaharov wanted a $1 New York lottery scratch-off ticket when she went to a convenience store, but the clerk instead gave her, by accident, a $10 set-for-life ticket. Zaharov opted for the $5 million to be handed out over 20 years and then yearly sums of over $170,000 for the rest of her life. Again, uh, Joe, you typically have something missing in one of these stories. What I don't understand is what was the timeline of this transaction? Did she, because she was given the wrong ticket, did she get away with buying it for a dollar? And did she scratch it off right there in the store and reveal this immediately as the million? How did that all get settled out? That's what I want to know. Apparently she felt bad that the clerk gave her the wrong ticket. So she's like, I'll just, I'll buy that instead. Well, yeah, at the very minimum, she's got to be out of pocket. Not that it was her fault, but she got a a $10 risk. So she needs to pay the $10 price. Yeah. Easy once you win the $5 million. Yeah. Maybe share that with the clerk for... uh, Accidentally yeah, I would making have, her I a very wealthy gotta, woman. I think you got to paper up the clerk a little bit. And with $5 million, you got the means to do it. Yes, certainly do. Uh, Dewey Care is brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's love at first slice. All right, Mike Waters coming up as we continue. Mike's traveling back. I know that the uh, weather here is going to create some uh, issues for people up and around the East Coast. We'll see if uh, all has gone smoothly with Mike's uh, travel when he joins us here in a few moments. Mike will be a regular guest on Thursdays throughout the basketball season. Orange head coach Jim Beheim, by the way, tonight in the American Jim Beheim show, which is a two-hour version. Gomez of the Gomez and Lisa Morning Show on TK99 will host an extra hour with Coach tonight beginning at 8 as well. More to come as we continue. You're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Home of the Syracuse Crunch. Mitchell Stevens across. Here's a shot. Score! Kevin Lynch ties the game. Atkinson left side, shoots, he scores! Picked off by another, Pekka takes it, for Lynch who shoots, he scores! Kevin Lynch with 103 to go in the third period, gives the Crunch its first lead, it's 3-2. to two. ESPN 97.7, 100.1, a.m. The Crunch played their first game of 2018 this Saturday in Hartford against the Wolfpack. Countdown to Crunch time, 6.45, puck drop at 7 on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio. We're here another 10 minutes or so. Then the Jim Beheim Show this evening at the Marriott Syracuse downtown will be in Shaughnessy's. If you're looking for a place to uh, stay warm and look outside as it snows, pretty good spot there with glass windows all the way around the corner. And uh, you can watch people slip and slide on the sidewalk and roadways if that's your thing. And uh, enjoy a beverage and appetizers and whatnot and talk ball with Coach Beheim tonight. That's at 7 o'clock. Syracuse women are in the Dome against Georgia Tech at 7 as well. Mike Waters is uh, hopefully not slipping and sliding, but uh, at the safety of an airport at the moment. Is that right, Mike? How are you? Uh, how you doing, Matt? Yeah, uh, we are uh, situated here at the Charlotte International Airport. Okay, but you're not flying internationally, so that's as far as you've made it. You've flown from one corner of the state to the other. <laughs> not even, not even, not even one corner, we, uh, actually. Our flight from Greensboro to Charlotte was 23 minutes in the air. Right, <laughs> done that before. That's a that's a strange uh, starter there, but that's how it works. And. Uh, you're awaiting the next one uh, up from uh, from Yeah, we Charlotte. got our fingers crossed that uh, maybe we make it home tonight. Uh, but uh, I can't even say we're cautiously optimistic at this point. Yeah, well, I think the next story, and probably you're already working on this one, is what is Notre Dame doing to make sure that it can 
get in safely and on time? Or are they moving anything up? I mean, South Bend is a place I would think that's also kind of used to the snow. Nobody's as used to the snow at major airports like they are in Syracuse and Buffalo. But uh, so I would imagine if you can get in the air, you can get to here. But uh, the, probably are precautions being taken. I would think with the storm coming. Well, and you know they'll be they'll have the luxury of flying a team charter. Yeah. So it's not like they have to worry about uh, you know commercial aircraft and, and you know and rules a or plane anything to South Bend first in order for them to get to Syracuse and and flying direct via the charter also always helps uh, travel as you know. Uh, and the folks out at, the, at Syracuse Hancock Airport, if they do anything well, it's clear those runways. And so if Notre Dame can leave South Bend, they'll land in Syracuse, no problem. Yep, so I we'll, would imagine that they would uh, get in here tomorrow without any incident, but I would imagine they're kind of looking into it and, and thinking about that. I know the, uh, <laughs> talked to one of the TV guys thinking the, the same way as well, trying to find uh, alternate routes in case there's any issue getting in here tomorrow for uh, afternoon practice before the 315 game on Saturday afternoon. And we can get back to Notre Dame in a second. I, I thought, uh, Mike, just kind of an empty feeling leaving there last night. It, uh, I, I think it's easy to explain the, the number of ways where Syracuse lost, et cetera. I don't know that it uh, means anything for the season going forward, but that's a game they probably should have, could have won and, and did not. Uh, I agree. We were just kind of looking over the numbers again, uh, you know, 12 uh, to 24 hours later. And, you know, we know Syracuse is a team that's been out rebounding opponents really by 10 a game. They've been really feeding on but either second chance points and also keeping other teams from getting those second chance points. That helps Syracuse's defense. And they also rely on the big three of O'Shea Brissett, Tyler Ennis, uh, Tyler from Jesus. Wow. Uh, <laughs> he would help. <laughs> Battle and Frank Howard. Now, two of the big three don't really have good games yesterday, and they get beat on the boards. And with two minutes to go in the game, they had the ball with the score tied. Right. So you, they, they nearly pulled out a win on the road on a night when nothing really was going their way statistically. And, and to think that you weren't able to figure out those last two minutes and get that win, it, it, I, I understand exactly what you, what you say when you felt like the team walked out of that building with an empty feeling. It was the first time it felt like where O'Shea Brissett, you were just sort of listing, you know, as you said, two of those three didn't have good games. We've chronicled Tyus Battle's uh, kind of off-shooting night, 13 points. O'Shea Brissett, at the end of the day, 16 points and seven boards. What more do you want, you know, from a guy in his first uh, road ACC game? But it just wasn't his kind of game. He wasn't doing the things he normally does, it seems like to me. And the 5 of 16 shooting, I mean, yeah. below 33% from the field uh, for a six foot eight guy. I mean, I, I know Wake has a few bigs that are around the basket, including the big seven foot one kid, Darrell Moore. He makes life difficult when you're driving to the basket because O'Shea would beat his man, but Darrell's not having to move away from the basket to defend Syracuse's centers. Uh, he was really just shading the basket the whole night. So he made it tough when O'Shea got to the rim. If he didn't block the shot, he made O'Shea adjust and. You know, somehow, some way, O'Shea's got to finish or at least draw the fouls more. But uh, 5 of 16, I can't even look at the 16 points and say it's a halfway decent night. 5 of 16 is just not a good shooting night from a 6'8 guy. Well, that's 4 of 12 and two-point field goals. And, and even the threes, <laughs> I think he has, um, you know, I think O'Shea has understood that, look, the three-pointing, three-point shooting has helped him in a couple of games, but it's not his number one option. And and in his defense last night, the threes that he took were late in the game when they really needed one. And uh, and yeah. so I, I don't know that that really is to blame 
uh, for his his night, but it just didn't seem like he was doing what you typically do. The, the most telling statistic in O'Shea Brissett's uh, ledger last night is one offensive rebound. He's usually yeah. uh, you know good for three or four of those, and, and that's talking about six or eight points in most cases. Well, and how about the fact that as a team, Syracuse only six offensive yeah, rebounds. Uh, they missed a lot of shots. There were a yeah. lot of uh, offensive rebounds to be had. And they only had six. For a team that doesn't shoot really well, like I said earlier, the, the second chance points are really important to Syracuse, and they, and they just didn't get what they usually have been getting last night. Yeah, six of 29 uh, missed field goal attempts. So uh, just a 42% <laughs> shooting night. Mike Waters of uh, Syracuse.com joining us. It, it, it's not to be obscured that if Frank Howard uh, did have – you know, for the most part, a strong game, as strong as a six-turnover game can be. Uh, 23 points for him and, and five assists. And, you know, I thought the highlight of the game, obviously, they just didn't sustain it, was that run in the first half where not only, Mike, was it 12 nothing. the first five field goals of that game were, were one apiece for each of the five players on the floor, the five starters. Yeah, and you're, like, you're thinking at that point, oh, everyone's involved. Yeah. This could be okay. Right. <laughs> and it just it wasn't. And, and, and right now, and Jim Beheim alluded to this after the game. He was asked about uh, the small number of assists by uh, a reporter there. The small number of assists has been a common thread this year because Syracuse isn't the type of team that's running a lot of motion and sharing the ball and setting shooters up like like last year's team, really. When sure. you had like a whole bunch of shooters, you had guys picking up assists because if you threw the ball to Andrew White and he made a three, you got an assist. You know, congratulations. This year's team, based on the fact that they don't have a lot of shooters and it's a lot of drives to the basket, they don't get assists. But in a, in, a, in a game like last night, it also means it doesn't seem like the ball's really getting worked around so you're not creating a really good high-percentage shot. The, the best shot you get is Frank Howard or Tyus Battle trying to take his guy off the dribble. You know, it's really tough. And it, but it's going to be like that way the whole rest of the season because this is just the way this team is. The same way last year's team lived and died by the three, and it was exciting at times. Uh, and maybe easier to understand when they didn't make threes than this year's team. They, 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 they don't shoot it well, so you really are predicated on dribble drive, get to the basket, get fouled, and, and, and hopefully make a good number of free throws. You know, the th- types of assists they are getting, you know, in a situation like that is drop-offs to the big guys, and uh, there just aren't Frank that Howard. many of those in yeah. the game. Yeah, his passes. Where he yeah, yeah. carries yeah. it all the way to the basket and then ha- hands it off to somebody. All right, Mike, one minute left, and boy, Notre Dame really struggled last night without uh, Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know how they're going to, you know, fare with, without Bonzi, obviously. I, I mean, we, we saw that score last night in the workroom uh, as we were still working on our stories after the game, and we couldn't believe uh, the, the score of the Notre Dame game because we knew that Bonzi Colson was out. At that time, we didn't know Matt Farrell had gotten injured as well and, and was only going to play 15 minutes. So when we found that out, we were like, wow, what, was, what happened to NC State? Um, I guess maybe you do need a point guard at times in this league. Sure. Uh, but we'll have to see. You know, Part of that, and, and you know I'm a Carolina grad, Dean Smith used to always fear a team that had lost a key player and he had to play them in that very first game because sometimes that team would get energized and that'd be the win one for the Gipper mentality. It was win uh, one by to... the Gibber last night. How's that for a line to end it? TJ Gibbs, very nice. 22 points. Out of time, Michael. Thank you. All right, Matt.
Talk to you next week. That's Mike Waters. Safe travels to Mike and the uh, Syracuse.com gang. TJ Gibbs, 22 points last night in the absence of uh, Bonzi Colson. And uh, again, Matt Farrell missing the second half. Back tomorrow at 2 in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.